Uh, we're going to be in First John this morning. First John. And uh, while I was on vacation last week, Pastor Nick asked me what I was going to talk about this morning. And I told him the assurance of salvation. And he said, well, that's interesting. Uh, Jay just taught on that. So we, uh, we first thought about changing it. Uh, but then we thought, you know, maybe the Lord just has something on our heart that this body needs to hear a couple of Sundays in a row. So uh, Jay did an absolutely amazing job last week. Just such a, a knowledgeable brother. Just love his wisdom uh, his heart. Uh, just just love listening to Jay. So uh, I'm going to go through a few points in First John that I hope will be a good follow-up to Jay's message last week. Uh, see, there's this fellowship with God in First John, uh, this assurance, and he desperately desires others to enjoy the same fellowship. And I feel like I can relate to this in First John a lot. And if this church... Is, is to glorify God through gospel-centered disciple-making, then we don't need to question our salvation if we're truly saved. And we need, uh, we need to be able to help others struggling in this area as well. So I'm going to try to give somewhat of a litmus test uh, for yourself when thinking about the assurance of salvation. Uh, so did you know that the Word says that we are to test ourselves? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So we're talking about being assured in the faith. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little short story about assurance. So last week we were on vacation. We were in Florida. And uh, my daughter, Lindley Grace, some of you know her, uh, she's just my little evangelist. Uh, she just, uh, she just loves to, to introduce people to Jesus. I just love that about her. I learned so much about her. So I want you to get in this picture with me. So, uh, it's nearing the end of the day and we are walking uh, over to the pool and we get to the pool and there is what I can only describe is a duck dynasty looking family there. There's about, I don't know, six of them, uh, just uh, except uh, add beer and cigarettes, so they're not the Christian version of Duck Dynasty. Okay, so uh, so we walk over, and uh, Lindley Grace, like I said, she just witnesses to everyone. Like, we were on a walk uh, a little while back, and uh, a lady was walking by with her dog, and and she just screams out across the street, "Hey, do you know Jesus?" And uh, it's, I just love that about her. Just uh, true heart for people wanting to go to heaven, and like just this burden, knowing that if they don't know Jesus, what will happen? So I just learned so much from Lonely Grace. So of course she's talking to to one of these guys, and he's like the main guy. He's got this huge beard. Uh, if you follow uh, Duck Dynasty, they they called it they called him Uncle Sai. So uh, like picture that. Uh, just love this guy. So and Linda Grace, she doesn't do three circles. She doesn't uh, you know warm it up. She just goes straight to it. 
And she just says, do you know Jesus? And, uh, and, and he responds, well, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't really think I do. And Linda Grace responds, all matter of fact. And she just says, well, well, how do you think you're here? Like she tells him, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for Jesus. And he says, you know, I'll have to trust you in this. Uh, I'll have to check it out more. He will never forget that conversation from that six-year-old little girl. So uh, just love that. But see, he had no assurance of salvation. And I wonder how many professing Christians are struggling with this same thing. A recent survey was taken, and it said that 53%, only 53% of the evangelical church thinks you can have an assurance of salvation. And that just breaks my heart. I feel like First John is saying, hold up, wait a minute. Like, I'm going to write you this letter telling you you can have an assurance. Like, that's why he writes this letter. So, uh, this text for me is very encouraging uh, for my faith, and I hope it is for you. Uh, is Cole here? Cole in the back. I've recruited my good friend Cole. Uh, he's going to read First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. So thank you so much, Cole. You're welcome. Hold on just a second. Hold on. One more time. We good? Try it now. There we go. Whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this uh, by this we know that we love the ch- children of God We, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For uh, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and uh, and this is the victory that that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he 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 who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water by in blood, Jesus Christ, not the uh, not not with the water only. But with the water and with the blood, in it, in, I can't read. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For, uh, for there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood, uh, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. Uh, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in, in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and, and, this, is, and this is in his son. Who has who has the son has the life. 
who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Uh, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son, uh, Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Thank you, Cole. All right, let me, uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that this text would be great assurance to some and to others a great alarm. To anyone here who is presently an unbeliever, that this text would produce salvation for them, that they may know and come to the saving knowledge of the truth that Jesus is the Savior and the Christ. And to those that are believers, this would be great assurance to them that they may know and have confidence that they may have eternal life. God, I pray that I would decrease, I must decrease, and you must increase. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So three things that I am, that we're going to go through this morning uh, to somewhat test the assurance of your salvation uh, based on 1 John. I have three points that I'm going to cover with this. Uh, number one is what you believe. Number two is how you live. And number three is how you love. So what you believe, how you live, and how you love. So as Cole read in 1 John uh, 5.13, John, uh, 1 John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's the thesis statement of this letter. You guys remember thesis statements? So the thesis statement, the primary purpose of John writing this is to those that are truly believers, truly born of God. He wants you to know and have this assurance of your salvation and live with an incredible peace and hope and expectancy of what's to come. So the other purpose would be that the unknown believer or unbeliever would have a lack of assurance of salvation and that it would awaken you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I I really like Francis Chan. I, I listen to a lot of Francis Chan. And Francis Chan talks about this tension that I, uh, I experience also. And it's this tension of not wanting people who think they're going to heaven when they're not. Like, that's horrible. The most loving thing would not be to just let people go and not offend them and wait until they figure it out at the end. But there's also this other fear, like, we don't want people who know Jesus to feel like they don't and be worried about it and how to walk that tension like, God, I don't want everybody worried about their salvation. At the same time, I don't want everybody thinking they're saved. So I just uh, I just try to get away from myself as much as I can and just read the words in Scripture. Because this is forever. Like, for eternity. How you live today. What you believe today. This short time on earth determines your eternity. We are all going to stand before God one day. Now, there's a, there's a few kind of unbelievers. 
Uh, one knows it. They'll be the first to tell you about it. They may be even defiant in that. Uh, think of, you know, maybe a professing atheist. They may try to argue the faith. So one knows it. Uh, and then there are others who believe that they are believers. But if they could see what God sees about them, they are actually unbelievers. In Matthew seven twenty one through 23, just a, a verse that I just uh, I cling to a lot, especially doing ministry, Jesus says that there will be those that are surprised that they are not believers. Jesus' words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So that could be some natural concern, but that's why John writes this letter for you and for me and for our life. There are those in the church, in the universal church, who profess the name of Christ, believing that they are believers, but Jesus knows the truth, that he does not know them. Some may think they walked an aisle when they were a kid, uh, but they have no evidence in their life that they are born of God according to what John writes. And a guy, girl, you could have an alarm that it might have been my mom's faith or it might have been my dad's faith, but that wasn't my faith. So there, there are some people who might have a profession of faith, but they don't have a possession of a relationship. Uh, really big moment for me and for Brittany uh, 10 years ago uh, in my uh, in my walk was was learning the difference in this is not about religion this is not about rules and uh, rituals like we're talking about a relationship with Jesus so that's true in our day just as uh, it is in John's day they claim to know Christ but in how they lived their lives, actually rejected him. It did not back up what they said. So they are in danger of hearing those words in the day of judgment that I don't want anyone to hear, right? That Lindley Grace doesn't want anyone to hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. So hopefully this this book helps you grow in your assurance of your salvation or it messes you up and you're less and less sure and alarmed of your spiritual state. So, point number one, what you believe. Your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe rightly about who he is. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 that Cole read, everyone who believes. So, he's writing that in the light, in light of the last four chapters. Okay, so... It's not just a profession of faith. In the light of the first four chapters, he means you have to believe rightly about Christ. You can't just believe whatever you want about Jesus and that be the evidence. It must be true, like doctrinally right. Now, I want you to, to pay special attention here, right now, uh, especially if you're wondering about this whole Christian thing. 
if you're not a Christian, if you're wondering what is the gospel, like what is the good news, uh, I want to tell you the good news that's at the center of this book. Okay? So there is one God over all of us. He created us all. Every single one of us, the reason that we have breath is because he is giving it to us. If he were to stop, we would stop. Okay? And we have all sinned against God. Every single one of us have sinned against God. And that looks different in all of our lives. But we've all turned from our, from his ways to our ways. And if you look at all the different religions in the world, they're all have all these things trying to earn their way to God. Do these things. Pray these prayers. Do these rituals. All these different things. But the good news of the Bible, the good news in this book, is that God came down to us. God loves you so much, He came down to us in the form of Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, He walked a life that nobody else has ever done. No sin. And then he he went all the way to the cross, taking the wrath of sin. Now, if he didn't take the wrath of his sin, whose sin did he take the wrath of? Your sin. My sin. Our sin. Okay, but the the good news gets even better. He conquered death. Conquered death. Conquering the wrath of, of sin. Rose from the dead. Three days later. And Scripture says if you put your faith in Christ, trusting in Him as your Savior, that you can live with God forever and be reconciled back to God. It's the best news in the world. Like, and everybody needs to know this. Your life can change forever today. Like billions of years from now, today. So that's the good news of this book. And it needs to be made known. So you got to believe rightly about Jesus, not whatever you want. So there, there's some more tension. And this, it's this tension of, okay, so all I have to do is believe. Well, this is interesting because even the demons believed. The demons believed rightly. They knew he was the son of God. Right? They knew that he could just crush them. Like, they believed rightly about him. So you can't just say you believe. This isn't just a get out of jail, a get out of hell free card. Okay? This is not just an intellectual belief. If you look at believe, like that word, like think about that word, by life. Like, by life, by your life, shows what you believe in. Remember, Jay mentioned last week that, that there will be fruit in the life of a believer. 
So you say, but yes, we believe. So the problem with the church in the South is we all say that. But we live in a way that actually proves we really trust in ourselves. We don't trust Christ's righteousness. We trust in our own righteousness. So we're on this treadmill of performing, trying to earn our salvation, oftentimes to the one sitting right next to you. Uh, we're trying to work and earn our salvation, or we're trying to keep it. We have a fear of losing it. But if you have fully trusted in the righteousness of Christ, you have no fear of losing your salvation. The only way you can lose your salvation is if the Father comes displeased with the Son. If Christ loses His holiness, it's never going to happen. The true gospel that I put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ and my life gives evidence of that. Another mentor of mine, uh, Andy Savage, he's actually here this morning. Uh, he always teaches that that he can't just be your savior. He's got to be your Lord. Like he's got to be your savior and the Lord of your life. And I uh, can just uh, really appreciate that. So, so John is is saying in these chapters that if that's true of you, if it's really a saving faith and not merely a profession of faith, that there will be many things that are true about your life. There will be evidences that flow forth. You have a love for God, not just a fear of God. And that love for God will produce a love for others. So, summing up point one, what you believe, your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to believe rightly about who He is. If you flip back a couple of chapters, 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So do you live a life that backs up what you profess about Jesus? So what about when life gets hard? Like really hard. John says you may call yourself a believer, but you ain't one if these things aren't true. That leads us into point number two. How you live. See, love is a practical thing. Love without obedience and action is not really love. If I just say that I love Brittany, but I don't stay faithful in my marriage, or if I don't treat her like the most important girl in the world, it doesn't matter what I say, I believe. Or if I just say I love her, I have to show her. True love shows itself by seeking to please the one who is loved. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. See, right here, we immediately start to go through the checklist. Like, okay, how obedient have I been? I've uh, been doing my quiet time most of the week. I'm like 5 for 7 this week. 
I've been meaning to serve. I've, I've nicked a couple of my bad habits. Like, I'm watching my language. I've even shared the gospel once this week. Like, I think I'm doing it. But he doesn't stop there. Keep reading. Because there's no legalism or moralism in this. Verse 3 says, And his commandments are not burdensome. Here's what John wants you to see. If you're a Christ follower, it's not merely that you're checking off the boxes. It's that your obedience to Christ is not a burden. It's a joy. That's the point he's teaching. So when you read the scripture and you come across the explicit commands of Christ and how we're to live and the purity of which we're to live and how I'm to love my wife and how I'm to treat my coworkers and how I'm to treat my neighbor. Like when you read the commands, does it feel like a weight is being put on your shoulders? Like a weight is being added? Or does it feel like a weight is being lifted off your shoulders? Because maybe if you're undergirding false gospel is running your life, then the more commands he gives, it just gets heavier and heavier in what I've got to do to please the Father. It could even push you away from the faith because you don't really understand it. So Jesus said something very different. He said, those that come to me that are weary and burdened, said, I will give you rest. Like, my burden is going to be so light. He says in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, he says, come to me. All who are weary and heavily burdened by these religious rituals, by all these things we're trying to keep up and do, that provide no peace. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Like refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Like following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This refreshing renewal, just quiet peace. For my yoke is easy, like my, my yoke is easy to bear. My burden is light. See, the yoke is this instrument. If you just picture these oxen, just these bull oxen, and they're, they're working in the field, right? They, they have this tool. It's like this wooden tool they put around that enables two oxen to pull together working in pairs. So if you trust in Jesus and believe in him, Jesus is the one you're sharing this yoke with. Like you're not doing this on your own. Take his yoke. He pulls with you. We can't do life on our own. We're not meant to just be in this rat race of life. So many of us are just in this pursuit of nicer cars and bigger houses and more stuff and just this rat race, this endless pursuit. See, everyone is yoked to something. 
question is, to whom or what do you want to be yoked to? Love him, trust in him, and he will change pointless and meaningless toils into a life of spiritual productivity and purpose. So what are the commands of Christ to you? Are they a weight placed on you? Or are they a weight lifted? Now I want you to to think about somebody in your life right now that you would do anything for. Somebody in your life that you, anything, like anything they would ask you would do because you love them so much. Everybody got that person who you're thinking about, who that would be? There are many of these people in my life. A lot of them are here this morning. The one that comes to mind is my grandfather, my pawpaw, is what we called him. He's a former deputy chief of the Memphis Police Department. Just this good over evil, right over wrong man. Okay? There was nothing he could ask of me that I wouldn't do for him. Like anything he would need and ask, there was just this impulse in me saying, I'll help, like let me do it, like I will help. Sometimes it might be have been things that are hard, right? But, it, but I did it because I loved him. So he got cancer, and uh, I remember he was getting weaker and weaker, more sick, and, and him uh, telling me to take care of my grandma, my family, 14-year-old boy, uh, those thoughts flashing through my mind, like, this is kind of intimidating. Uh, can I really do all these things? Uh, I was going to be the man of the house, uh, around the house now, so, but that love in me for him, that impulse in me, to answer without even thinking about it. Yes. Like whatever you want me to do. Anything you need. Like I didn't have to stop and think about it. I didn't have to pray about it. I didn't have to get in a small group. I didn't have to learn more. Right? I just said yes. Because I love that man. No matter the cost. Just this impulse in me. Not because I had to, but because I must. Because I love that man, my obedience was joyful because the pleasure it brought to my papa. So now think about your relationship with God. Does it resemble that person you just thought about that you would do anything for? Anything. So there's a danger in this. There's a danger to be passive or complacent in every area of our lives, right? Especially our faith. Uh, a few examples of that, marriage, right? I mentioned marriage. Like if we're not careful, we can get so comfortable in our marriages that we can, of course, tell people we love our spouse. We can post it on social media, Right? But if our actual lives do not reflect that love, then we are lying to ourselves and to others. So we have to be intentional about checking on that. There's a few guys here that 
I do life with refer refer to checking on the hearts of our spouse. Uh, another area that could we could be complacent uh, in would be our work. Like our company can be complacent if we're not careful. We could say that we give back all day long, but if we really don't give back, then we're liars. So Friday, Corey and uh, Brandon and the roofing team are leading a project. They're helping someone in need. Like there has to be action behind our words. Or they mean nothing. This is the same with our faith. We can't just say we love Jesus and then do nothing. So when you're born of God, His commands are not our duty that we have to painfully fight through. It's our joy to even consider how our Lord Jesus smiles when we give lives and give our lives in service to His kingdom. Think about standing in the presence of God one day and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you understand this? Are you truly a believer? So how you live, the desires of your life, you should have a desire for joyful obedience, the obedient response to God's commands. Uh, Herb Hodges, who he discipled me, he used to tell me, you're not reading your contract. Like, get in this book. Fall in love with this book. If you want to know God's commands and what he's asked you to do, commanded you to do, you got to read your contract. 1.6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. 2 verses 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Also in chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from our Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. 3, 6, and, uh, and 9. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. He's saying, not that you're never going to sin again. He's saying, not that you're habitually sinning. You're not in this habitual habit of sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then skip down to verse 9 if you're following the text. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, it's not that you're never going to sin. One of my other uh, children, when four years old, just loves 
bugs. Like, he just, Lindley Grace wants to save him, Wynn wants to play with him and then crush him, but uh, it, it made me thinking about this example of, of a caterpillar. And I want to do this with him one day. So, so get this caterpillar and picture a caterpillar, right? We're going to put it in, in this little, I don't know what you call a, a house for a caterpillar, but I'm sure there's a name for it. And we're going to like let it grow. And we're going to watch it every day and we're going to let it form a cocoon. And I, I can't wait to like just go look at it every day. And then one day becomes what? Butterfly. Like, that butterfly was that caterpillar. And I don't know, I've, I've never been a butterfly, but I'm sure there's days where he, he wishes he could go back to being a caterpillar. Maybe he walks around like a caterpillar, reminiscing his caterpillar days. I don't know, but there's something in him that's like, like this isn't right, like this just doesn't scratch the itch like it used to. It's not that he won't go back to be at a caterpillar. It's that he can't. If you're born of God, you are a new creation. Like, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. I want to make sure we're not like, okay, I, I'm not feeling the weight of our sin. It doesn't mean we're going to live perfect lives. Like, God's grace is so much bigger than any sin that we could ever do. It's just saying you can't wallow around in your sin like you used to and be comfortable. Can't do it. Last, uh, in 5, verse 3 and 4, said, This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So that takes us to point number three. Point number three is how you love. Like, how well do you love others? Think about this. Like, is there anyone currently in your life right now that you hate? Like, let's go to the Word. What, is, what does the Word say? Two nine says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. 3.11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 3.16-18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with just words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Chapter 4, 7-8, through eight, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then also in 4, verse 19 through 21, 
we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Like it, it changes my reaction with people. Changes my marriage. Changes my parenting. How I operate my businesses. Gives me a heart for other people. Like before all this, like all I really cared about was like the American dream. Like make a lot of money and a job and uh, my career. And like that's all I really wanted. Like, but if you're truly a child of God, like this doesn't go away, right? This doesn't go away when we have famous golfers in our town. Like when, when, when there's this golf show going on, like it doesn't go away when that happens. Like when hunting season comes around, like our faith doesn't go away. College football shows up, doesn't go away, right? Like, This thing happening in you and in me, it just should increase and become greater and greater. What you believe, how you live, and how you love. What you believe, how you live, how you love. And remember the danger to treat these like a checklist. It should be growing evident in you. So summing it up, what do you believe? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you live? Do you truly love God with all your heart and in turn love others? How do you live? Does your life reflect what you believe? So based on the writings of John, do you think that you're a believer? And if you are in this tension, like if you have an alarm that goes off, talk to an elder of this church. Talk to a a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Like come talk to us about this. Like you're not meant to have that. Okay? So I keep Asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance and His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Like the same resurrecting power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Ephesians 1. Let's pray.
Father, I have been praying about this and I have to believe there are some here today that as we go through the writings of John and our test, the less assured they are of the very thing that which John meant to assure them of. So God, I pray for these words to fall with a great weight that if anyone here is unsure of their salvation based upon what your beloved disciple has written that they might do in these moments, heed the gracious warning of your Holy Spirit. That they may cast their fear aside and say, Lord, I want to know you and be known by you as a child of God, like my sin has led me astray. I believe that you're not just one that speaks a way to salvation through a moral life. Like I believe you're my Savior. And I want to cling to you and I I ask that you would transform the way I think and believe and live and love and produce the fruit of salvation in my life that I may be able to lay hold of that which John writes about and have a blessed assurance of my salvation. Save me, Lord Jesus. I cannot save myself. For the one who in their own way offered up that cry of salvation spring forth in their heart even now. I know it's a work of the Lord. Will you do that work in someone's life today? And remind all these brothers and sisters of whose they are and of who they are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.